Hi, my name is Chris Candy, and this is the Never Not Run podcast. Or no. <laughs> or do the NNR for... This is the Never Not Run podcast. I'm your host, Chris Candy. And I'm Mark Nieto. Okay, we're back. Episode 17 of the Never Not Run pod. Today is, boy, do we have a treat for you today. We have Bill Maeda on the pod. Uh, Bill, you may have seen his Instagram page. He is a personal trainer who's based out of Hawaii. But man, this guy has, I mean, just one look at his page and it's its hard not to be impressed and blown away by just what he's doing at his age. And uh, yeah, he's been an inspiration to us. Yeah, a friend of mine put me on to, to Bill and his Instagram channel and and you know, I've been really into kettlebells and 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 uh, weightlifting and pull-ups in conjunction with like running for all these years, and I've just never seen uh, anyone train in his way because it's really fluid. It uses the whole body. It's unconventional, and he is just a very out of the box thinker when it comes to working out. Th- this episode is great. It's super informative. Um, it, it's a it's a bit of a. A left turn for us because there's a lot of bodybuilding conversation, but it's really interesting. And it was just such a great honor to to listen to someone uh, talk in such love and, and uh, capacity of, of, of the bodybuilding, weightlifting strength world. Yeah. And he is, he's a great storyteller. We get into his history uh, and just, you know, his ethos behind a lot of it. So since it's a longer episode, we don't want to spend too much time in the front talking. We'll get right into it. Um, but want to thank everybody for tuning in again. And this is episode 17 of the Never Not Run Pod with Bill Maeda. All right, we're back. Mark, this is um, episode 17, correct? Am I right there? You're right. You got it right this time, 17. Oh my God. Um, We are uh, expanding with this episode and we're going farther into the world of fitness and farther places in the world. We're we're really excited for today's guest. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce uh, Bill Maeda. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Bill. Oh, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege. So to kick things off, would you mind giving us a bit of your history and your backstory and, and how you got started? Yeah, well, okay. Um, first off, um, I'm a personal trainer by trade. Uh, it's all I've ever done. Um, aside from uh, working at McDonald's when I was 15, um, this is the only thing I've ever done. It's uh, not a fallback plan for me. I actually started training when I was a uh, age 10. And my inspiration at the time was like a lot of guys from my generation, those old Bruce Lee movies. I remember, I think it was Enter the Dragon and all those things that came out in the 70s, or at least I saw them in the 70s. Um, There was a scene in one of those movies, uh, Game of Death, I forget, where he's without a shirt, he has these claw marks on his chest, and he's got these nunchaku, and he's just just moving those things. (laughs) And besides the, the I'd never seen a weapon like that, but the way I was watching his muscles, especially, I didn't know what they were called at the time. He had obliques and that's kind of my thing now, but those oblique muscles he had and just those cross striations across his pecs. And he wasn't a big guy. 
you know, um, right. I'd never seen physicality on that level. And that that's what just set it off for me. I, I just got a one and a half in one and probably one and a half foot length of chain that I found in a garage. And I started using that as an unchaco and it just beat the hell out of my hands. And, but I didn't care. And I started doing push-ups and just mostly push-ups and sit-ups. Cause that's all at age 10, I could think of doing, um, and started from there. So, um, and, uh, my, my, I've always, I, I never was really later on in, in my teens, you know, Schwarzenegger and all those guys, sure. Stallone, Van Damme in the eighties, they became just huge. Right. But, um, a lot of, and I guess, you know, my natural structure was just, I'll discuss this more in detail later, but I guess I just had a, 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 a types of genetics for a, a more muscular build, especially for an Asian guy. I also was taller than normal for Asian guys of my generation. So, but I was never really inspired by bodybuilding, even though people thought that that's what I was into martial arts, mm. um, the functionality and the, the athleticism of martial arts are, so all the weightlifting I did, even from that young age to current, was always around um, making myself uh, better as a martial artist. So, um, yeah, all the weights I do, all these moves you see now on my social media, um, if they don't in some way improve my mind or another person's ability at martial arts or a given sport, then I'm not really interested in doing it. That's why you don't see me do like a lot of deadlifting, a lot of curling, a lot of more traditional bodybuilding movements, because those are great foundational lifts. And from the time I was in my teens up into my early forties, those were still a huge part of my program. But um, yeah, it's always been about martial arts. Uh, at the time, kickboxing was all we had up until the early nineties when then the jujitsu uh, uh, came around. I was lucky enough to meet House and Gracie moved to Honolulu in the early 90s. And um, mm. shortly after, I had the privilege of being able to train with him a little bit. And just so people know up front, I am not a martial arts master in any way. I am not. I don't have high-level belts. Um, I never really got involved enough in any given martial arts to be ranked in anything. Um, so, And I, I never represent myself as that. You know, I'm a student. And a very novice one, um, as, as long as I've been, um, been, been studying martial arts, um, I kind of like combining my weightlifting and my movements with applications to martial arts. But it sounds strange, but being really accomplished as a martial artist itself, that wasn't really my thing either, because I have this shared love of of the weights and the various modalities that's where my true passion lies and i test the effect of those mm -hmm. uh, methodologies in martial arts but the average guy could just whip my ass in boxing kickboxing uh <laughs> jujitsu yeah i never i never want people thinking like i'm some kind of a badass because i'm i'm just a student yeah that was something i noticed with in seeing your you know, posts. And that's how I came to know about you was through Instagram and the power of that platform. But the movements and, and on a personal level, I've been training kettlebells and, and lifting and, and we're both runners, uh, but I've been doing that for some time. But the, um, 
the fluidness of the movements, the creativity of the movements. It, it, it uses the whole body in such a specific way. And, you know, even yesterday before I was, I was you know, prepping for this, I, I finally tried out one of the movements, which I don't know the name of it, but it involves... Yeah, I saw that. It was great. I, I, I posted or reposted that story to my, uh, my page <laughs> that it was the kettlebell orbit lunge. Now, did you invent that? You know, I would, I, I would have, well, okay, I, yes, in that <laughs> I'd never seen anybody else do that. I, I'm a little reluctant to say I invented sure. anything because I believe, you know, anything that's been done by somebody currently, even by accident, has probably been done, uh, been uh, created by others in the past because, but um, I'd never, I, I came up with that during the pandemic. Um, I started my whole social media journey, I guess, in 2020, um, because I'm a very low tech guy. I'm not a real, I, I barely do email properly. And <laughs> um, yeah, so social media was not something I was doing at all. I didn't watch, I didn't consume social media. Um, the only thing I knew about really was Facebook because I'm right. kind of old and that's, that's, and I didn't post and um, I, I just used it to keep up with my, <clears throat> just to connect with my classmates. And I barely looked at that. But during the pandemic, I had like a lot of people, I had some time. And um, I was working with clients on Zoom. And, you know, there was one guy that was kind of saying, hey, man, it's hard for me to actually train, you know, because, you know, we're all just sitting around eating pizza and drinking beer and having fun. But I'm not really in a mode of training. So I said, well, what, what does it take? How can I help you to, you know, train by yourself when you're not, when we're not on zoom? And he says, well, you know, what helped me is if, if you're training right now, if you could just like maybe videotape what you do right. and post it to YouTube and just send me the link. And then, you know, I'll, I'll I can kind of just cue off of that. And I said, all right. So I started doing that. And I don't know, within a kind of a short, maybe a couple of weeks, I guess a few of the videos started taking off on YouTube. And I I went from having, I don't know, just a couple hundred uh, subscribers that grew to about 30,000 really fast. Wow. And at that point, I have a teenage daughter who was kind of really amused by that. So then, um, and I had been posting on YouTube for well over a year. And I'm really kind of shy, um, especially back then. I didn't sure. speak. These were 10 to sometimes 20 minute, the literal, my entire workout. I just throw a camera. I didn't know about lighting. I was using um, uh, boxes of almond milk, you know, the Costco cases that yeah. I would stack three of them up. And that that was my tripod. And I was using a the forward facing camera on an old iPad mini. So the video quality was horrible. I didn't even know that, you know, the selfie camera is a low resolution. <laughs> I just used it so I could make sure that when I was standing out on my lawn that I was centered in the frame. So it was really crude, but somehow those videos um, took off. And so my daughter eventually, uh, after well over a year of those crappy YouTube videos, um, she got me to start doing, um, oh, then I started doing I didn't know about TikTok. I didn't know about Instagram. Right. I didn't even have the reels back then. So, but I was noticing that people on YouTube were making comments about a certain movement. And so I just thought, well, why don't I make it easy for them and just clip just a few seconds of the best part of that video 
and post that to YouTube. So I was doing YouTube uh, shorts before they actually had YouTube shorts. Okay. And that really worked. Then I was getting views that were up in the millions on, a, on given videos. And that propelled my channel to about 50K quickly. And when my daughter saw that, she said, Dad, why are you doing this on YouTube? And like I said, they didn't have shorts at the time. In fact, those short videos on YouTube uh, got me monetized. Now you can't do that, apparently. I think I got grandfathered oh. in because, yeah, apparently I think shorts view a watch time with shorts on YouTube, apparently they don't, but anyway, that's, that's who cares. Um, so my <laughs> daughter uh, got me on TikTok and this, uh, the, I thought TikTok was just, I kind of felt like a pedophile. I, because I thought <laughs> TikTok was just for like young girls doing whatever they do. And I'm like, why do you, are you sure? She says, yeah, daddy, don't worry. You're cool. You're a dad. People are going to understand. I'm like, all right, fine. So the first video I po posted was me shooting this rubber bear with a bow and arrow, I was on a vacation on an outer island. And I thought it was such a joke. I said, well, we'll just see what happens. And then so I shot the rubber bear with a bow and arrow. And you know, I got like 12 views. Um, and then she said, come on, get serious. So the next day, my second video was um, similar to a video I just recently posted where I'm, I'm holding a couple of kettlebells on my feet and I'm doing a pull up. Yeah. And that video, that second video I posted to TikTok just went blew up to over a million views like that day and my account started growing by rapidly um from that so i'm like oh i like tiktok so i started just putting and i train every day my thing is um back then it was 10 minute workouts doing um one to two exercises the best that i could and i only had 10 minutes to get it done and then I'd clip a little piece of that. And so I started putting that on TikTok every day. I was just uploading a few seconds of whatever I did. And my account, I didn't realize this, um, but my uh, my account grew to a million rather quickly. And I just assumed that wow. it, it happened rather easily. So I assumed, okay, this happened. TikTok, everyone gets a million uh, followers on TikTok. That's just a, it's a very accommodating platform. But um, from there, People were asking if I have an Instagram. So I actually had to ask my daughter, what is an Instagram? And she's like, God, daddy. All right. <laughs> so she she got to set up an Instagram for me. And then that started to kind of, from TikTok, I guess people started going, because I guess uh, TikTok allows you to actually link your Instagram and your YouTube okay. from your TikTok account. So people just, so my, my Instagram started growing and I, I didn't check I didn't know what DMs were, so I went for months and months and months on Instagram without checking a single DM. And when my daughter found, yeah, I I just I said, "What is a DM?" She's a direct message. I said, "Why don't they just call it an email?" I mean, that's the level of it. <laughs> right, I mean, right. you know, I'm that's so anyway. Um, yeah, and from there, the I started kind of like cluing in, and then people started approaching me with various, I guess you know, brand deals and offers. And then I understood the the value of these platforms. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, 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 I just enjoy it organically. I'm not trying to be, I, it was never my intention for my accounts to grow the way they have. I'm very grateful to the world and the community for, for just, you know, spending a little of their lives watching my videos. I'm very humbled by a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the time and the, the comments they leave but originally this was not my my intention it was just you know just kind of trying to occupy myself during the 
pandemic and just help my clients out. So anyway, so here we are. Well, they're, they're definitely inspirational and there's a, there's a certain aspirational quality to them as well. I was curious when you go to your page, the, one of the first things you'll notice is that almost all of your videos are done in the front yard of your house. And, and there's a beautiful Hawaiian scenery in the background. I was curious if you actually do all of your workouts in the front yard like that, or if you just do them for the video. Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. That is probably right now for some reason, like, the, like, do you only work out for 20? Is it really only 20 minutes? And do you, do you actually go to a gym or do you have some other place, something else going on? That is an extremely common question in, in the comments mm. and DMS for several months now. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, my whole thing, like I'm a, like I said, I'm, I'm not just simple kind of with technology and things. I'm a very simple guy in general. That's why I don't, you'll notice I, I tend to wear the same shorts. I don't wear shoes. Um, I'm very minimalist that way. And I wanted to convey both to my clients and then to anyone else who cared that, um, yes, I am a trainer by trade. I do have access to my gym that has equipment and all this fancier stuff, but my personal workouts and my, that little slab of walkway that goes from my front gate to my front door, that's my temple. That's, I want people to know that that is literally the only place I work out. Or if I'm not going for a run up, I, I live at the base of a mountain here. Mm -hmm. So if I run up in that mountain, then that's the workout. But otherwise, literally everything that I post is, is that is all that's going on i am not going to some big box or something i own a small gym myself mm. and it has cable machines and other things and big weight plates and tons of you know stuff but i wanted to convey to people that myself um i use dumbbells kettlebells everything that everybody else has access to um elastic bands and um a lot of times they might notice that the weights i use if, if they if they forensically track the two years I've been doing this, I'm not really getting stronger. Um, mm. I don't think I'm getting bigger or there's not much. Yeah. And I don't care about that at my age. I, I do it mostly. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge myself with some random exercise. Literally I will decide what I'm going to do on a given day as I'm bringing my camera outside. I do not schedule my workouts days, weeks, months in advance. It is literally very, um, I hope I'm not being offensive by saying this, but I, I'm a little ADD that way. And I am much better with spontaneity mm -hmm. um, than I am in, in planning. So, but it's, I'm, I'm not cheating. Um, and the one thing I want to get off, I'll come back to the 20 minutes and, and, and doing everything out in my AR, sure. but the first thing I like people to know before I have any conversations about what I'm doing it's it's a it's a very very common question. Not as common as it used to be, but when I first started doing this, when my channel started growing, literally every third comment was, "Are you on TRT? Um, are you on right. steroids? You know, uh, PED." So I like to really get that um, kind of get that off the table uh, at the get go. Otherwise, everything I everything else I say, there's that that kind of that little glimmer of doubt as to. So it's. Um, I just want people to know that I have been very simple. I have zero knowledge of steroids, TRT growth hormone. 
I have never even held a, pro, a, a steroid, anything in my hand. I lived in Venice, California for five years. I worked, right. I, I worked as a trainer and I trained at Gold's Gym. So I was in the thick oh, yeah. of the steroid yeah. culture in the early 90s when bodybuilding was just huge, all the yeah. big names. Um, and I worked also in a supplement store and sometimes, and name brand, uh, everyone knows these bodybuilders, I won't name them, but they would come in and they would put all this stuff, protein powder and things on the counter. And they would offer to either pay cash or whatever, or they would hand me a bag that had all these blister packs of this and that and vials, assuming that, you know, that was just currency in Venice sure. during the, that time. And perhaps even now, Wow. I have never had any interest. I literally, I just don't care enough about um, that's why um, anyone I've posted uh, pictures of me when I was age 12. And on, <laughs> and if you look at in my Instagram, you'll see me at age 12, age 15, age 18, age 20 and age 24. Just so people can see that most of what I uh, well, not most everything they see is genetic. Right. I have no see. Yeah. I always tell people I have my diet is terrible right before this podcast. I was <laughs> eating Trader Joe. Peruvian Inca corn, you know, it's like what they called corn nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, because I, I had to rush from the, my daughter had to go to the hospital real quick. So, and she's fine by the way. Um, but she okay. had a little knee issue. Yeah. And you know, I wanted to be a little sharp for you guys and I don't plan my, I don't even plan my, I don't run around with Tupperwares and tins of pre-made food. I just grabbed this thing of corn nuts and I was pouring them in my mouth as I'm walking in the door. So um, but yeah, oh, good. I've, so I've, I have never used steroids. I've never used anything. The, the, probably the most fringe thing I used in the nineties was, um, they had, uh, what are they called? Ephedrine or ephedrine or Ma mm -hmm. Huang. Remember mm -hmm. they, that was when it was legal. And I would take a few of those before I'd go to the gym, just like everybody did. Um, but aside from that, yeah, you know, I might every now and then, uh, I might take a scoop of pre-workout if I'm kind of dragging a little. Sure. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of coffee, um, but <laughs> that's same here. That's it. So, are so we. I want people just, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I literally, I met my wife as a barista in a coffee bar. She was working as a barista there before me. And, um, yeah, so uh, coffee, I'm a big fan, but yeah, drugs and all that. No, I, I just, uh, I'm a, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm a kind of a chicken of that kind of thing. I don't sure. even take. I'm, even when I've I've had surgery, you know, for my certain orthopedic, I also had cancer where they removed a foot of my colon. That was ten years ago. Um, they give me pain medication. For, I don't even take those. Right. Um, I don't take aspirin, ibuprofen. If it's yeah, I'm you know okay. When I was younger, um, smoked weed, took LSD, you know, uh, mushrooms. That no problem. But and that was back then. I don't do that now. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, of course. for some reason, anything pharmaceutical just kind of freaks me out. And um, right. I just don't have an interest. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, uh, and also with the 20 minute, um, the 20 minute workouts that I, 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 I state that I do on my um, bio, that is not something that I'm necessarily recommending to everybody. That is simply what I'm doing. If you are young um, and you're just kind of starting out, you're trying to build your foundation um, I'd recommend you just do it at what, what has been proven to work, you know, hour, hour and a half workouts, the heavy mm -hmm. deadlifts, squats, cleans, bench press, pull-ups, 
push-ups and running. That's those are those are my foundational uh, uh, foundations of my base from the time I was in my early teens up until the time I got cancer. Um, and then um, after the chemotherapy, I think changed things a lot for me. I mean, I, I would go on Monday for about three to four hours of chemo in the hospital. And then I'd, I'd leave I'd, for the next three days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I wore a belly pack that had a valve, a valve that was attached to my left shoulder and it would pump chemo in me for three days straight. Jeez. And um, that I believe it, it, it's to this day, my, uh, I have neuropathy in my feet, in my fingers and my toes. Um, kind of like diabetic toes, you know, they burn. I don't have uh -huh. diabetes. I'm yeah. Um, but it's just that, that it, it damaged my nerves um, and it affected my metabolism. So I, my recovery is not what it used to be. And I'm sure being my age, I'm currently 53 that by itself, you know, is significant, but um, the, yeah, it's just um, 20 mm -hmm. minutes is what allows me to recover so I can competently go out the next day and do some random activity. And regarding the randomness of what I do, um, because actually when I was younger, I groomed myself to actually be a soldier. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that, I wanted to be in the special forces, just like every other kid in the 1980s, watching all that Green Beret and Navy <laughs> SEAL stuff. And I knew, and I'd, I'd buy Soldier of Fortune magazine and Gung Ho and all these magazines that I don't think exist anymore. But it was every the, the main gist I got was you take whatever you got, no matter how whether you know how to use it or not, whether it's ideal, whether it's broken, what no matter what, you take it and you make it work. And you have to be prepared for any situation, any scenario. And to this day, it's not what I recommend to people building their base, but that's why one day I'm jumping up and down with burpees. The next thing I'm doing yoga, the next day I'm doing some, you know, single arm, slow one arm deadlift because I've, I've told, I've answered people in the DMS and I've said, you know, life comes at me randomly. And so that's how I structure my training. Um, right. But that's after having spent a few decades building a foundation and I did it more traditional where I never did that sophisticated, more the periodized training where, you know, I'm psyching and I'm scaling back. I would just go in and blast myself and then go and eat a bunch of food and then do it again and do it again. There wasn't much, I'm not a real big science guy. Um, but, but after building that base, um, and I also found that, um, this kind of random, short practice of various movements it it keeps me interested because like i said i'm even though i'm a trainer and you'd think this is my industry i'm just like everybody else i i can i if i don't train every day and if i do that train one day or two days and take a day off that day off turns into two days off and it turns sure. into three days off and next thing i'm just i'm done so because i know myself um I just, I have to train a little bit or I don't even call it training, it's practice. I will practice right. a skill. Um, so when I say practice, that means I don't take any of these things to max. Every now and then you might see me struggle with something, but 
that'll be probably the last rep you see that I would do on that workout. It's not like I'm doing another struggle rep and another. So to me, if I'm sore the next day from whatever I've done the day before, that kind of was a little bit too much. That wasn't a good thing. I don't consider that for me a good thing. Yeah. So I want to practice as perfectly as I can, but still be able to come back and meet whatever challenge that I'm going to give myself on the next day. I think I've heard that too nowadays that, that I don't want to say it's a trend, but I think there is more information out there in regards to, to shorter workouts. Cause Oh no, this is far from unique to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, a guy named Mike Menser, um, one of the great old school uh, bodybuilders from, Oh gosh, he was from Arnold's time. Um, he was the, I think the first guy that introduced that concept to me, he had that high intensity system of like, literally doing one or two reps of bench press after you've kind of warmed up to, you know, that max weight, just doing one, maybe two reps per set and maybe a couple sets of, and then doing that with your squats. And, and at the time, man, it was very controversial. Yeah. That, right. that, because it was totally, you know, it was all volume. It was isolation and squeezing and all that other stuff. Um, and then later on, Pavel Satsalin, um, yes. I became, I got certified as an RKC in 2007 and he also, you know, he's greasing the groove, meaning, yeah. especially with pull-ups. Um, if you suck at pull-ups and I certainly did as do a lot of people, he said, don't spend a workout trying to do sets of pull-ups, hang a bar in, in a doorway. Every time you go into that doorway, do one rep. And if you can't even do a one rep, do a quarter rep. Yeah. And just keep doing a quarter rep. And by the end of the day, you might have got 30, 30 something reps, but just one at a time. And it's easily digestible, your nervous system. And emotionally, you can, you can keep coming back to it. So Pavel, I think, made a big, big difference in the, in the fitness industry that way. And the RKC, and, and that's where I got in the kettlebell was through Pavel. That's the most, I think, of america and the world sure um and then more recently uh the uh, uh, he's he's, he's a, an mma jedi i think you guys know faras the hobby i'm familiar with faras yes oh he, he did a podcast with joe rogan that i have downloaded and saved and i listened to it uh, god i don't know how many years ago he did it but um for the listeners faras f-i-r-a-s Zahabi, I think it's Z-A-H-A-B-I on Joe Rogan. That sermon that he ends up giving just during their conversation is life changing. Uh, and I can't recommend that that podcast with Faraz Zahabi enough. It, it is just to me, it's like church listening to that that interview and the way he stated low volume, um, especially for martial artists. Um, right. Yeah, because yeah, and my thing, he said, if you're training, your strength training or your cardio is so intense that you can't competently throw a punch or get out of the way of a punch or a kick, you can't roll without gassing or, yeah. you know, um, then your training is actually detrimental. It's actually detracting from your, your objective. And um, yeah, the way he stated it was better than I'll ever be able to. And so, yeah, certainly, like you were saying, um, Chris, this is not unique to me at all. I'm just kind of coattailing off these much greater minds that came before me. And 
Um, I'm just trying to use my platform to just inform others of what they and and I'm sure there's guys from a hundred years ago that were saying the same thing. You know, it just history repeats itself. So, Bill, let's talk a bit about where you're in the world and and where you live and 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 your history there, if you don't mind. Um, and you said you lived in Venice, but you're currently in Hawaii, correct? I am. Yes. So, uh, okay, this is kind of funny. You know, recently, um, uh, yeah, in, in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky, um, they were very unfortunate. They had terrible flooding there. And um, then I received a, uh, there's, I think, a 3D energy drink company that uh, sent me a case of their, their drinks. And I noticed from the tracking information, they were located in Louisville or Louisville, Kentucky. And so I DM'd them. I said, hey, I hope you guys are okay. I want to thank you for sending these wonderful drinks to me. They really are great. But um, just a fun fact, I was born, my brother and I were both born of all places. I'm pure Japanese by ancestry. And my parents are both from Hawaii, but my dad was in the service at the time. He's a doctor. He was an ophthalmologist. And wow. for some reason, they ended up, they were in Louisville, Kentucky, when my brother and I happened to enter the world. So that's actually where I was born, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wish them well. I, and they, uh, apparently, they did okay from that flooding. But and I, if you're from Louisville right now, I, I, I hope you're okay. And I hope everything worked out well for you. Um, but uh, they moved me back to... Uh, Honolulu, where I currently reside, uh, when I was two. So I might as well have been born here. I certainly don't sure. remember anything about Kentucky. And I've been here ever since. Um, yeah, I I went to um, uh, a private school called uh, Punahou. And uh, since we're kind of going into that, uh, I just want people to know, because I get comments, they're very flattering, and I'm very grateful and 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 and. Uh, people say like, you're a badass or man, you're a goat or whatever. And, uh, or I got, I wouldn't, I would hate you to punch me or, and th- you know, just funny <laughs> things or like you're in the, or like, um, when Bill lifts, Bill doesn't lift weights up. The world gets pushed down. Just the funniest <laughs> comments, you know, and, what? and it, it really kind of, yeah, just funny stuff. And it really triggers a lot of imposter uh, syndrome in me because of course, you know, all the guys that I used, that I currently or used to idolize that are online, like Jocko Willink and Joe Rogan and all these manly men, these dudes, you know, uh, Cameron Haynes, um, The Rock, you know, they all have these crazy backstories like WWE, they're ex-professional athletes, they were Navy SEALs, Special Forces, you know, they have, sure. and I am the most normal not you know nobody ever beat me up i didn't grow up in you know in a rough place i never got bullied in high school my parents loved me um right you know i just yeah it was just everything was super and i want people to know that yeah i I, i'm i'm just a normal guy i i you know i'm i i'm I don't parallel park my car very well. It's just, you know, just a lot of, I'm a normal person. Yeah. No, I, right. Of course. And yeah. I get nervous doing returns at target, you know, um, <laughs> it's just normal stuff, but yeah, sure. I've been in Hawaii. So I, I went to Puno school and it was, it was a great place for me. And, um, 
And then uh, I tried to apply for the military after I graduated in 1987. Um, now, when I was playing high school football, I injured my shoulder and actually required my right shoulder um, back in this time. They didn't have arthroscopic surgery, so they literally had to cut like a big five-inch hole in my shoulder and put screws in there to keep my shoulder to, together, and that was called a Bristol pr procedure. But when I applied for the military and I wanted to go into the special forces, that um, that procedure actually disqualified me permanently. Oh wow! From they said even if we have a draft, that procedure is a is a no go. Um, wow. I also learned later on that you know the guy Chris Kyle, the American oh, yeah. sniper guy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, they he, they all he also got rejected for the identical. Um, surgery it's just that oh, wow he was a little more resourceful than i and went to a different recruiting office and lied about it <laughs> but um but for some reason when i went for my meps i think that's what they called it uh that that medical screening process they had my records in hand already and so i was yeah so uh, and then after after that happened then shortly thereafter um i met um my wife leslie she was just my girlfriend at the time, and we moved to to Venice because I figured, okay, well, if I can't be in the military, um, this bodybuilding and this weightlifting thing is really it was going off in the early '90s. So yeah, and and I would watch those movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, pumping iron and all that. And Venice looked like magic to me. I think other people have said the same, but you know, and I, that Muscle Beach thing that was cool. That was not my thing. I I was kind of too right. shy to actually go. Plus, you know, I, I might have weighed 220 when I got out there, which for an Asian guy who's about six feet tall, that was pretty big. But once I got out to Venice, man, I didn't want to take my shirt off much at all because, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, th that was, yeah, there were guys, Paul Dillette or DeLay, uh, just everyone, Gary Stridham and Rich Gaspari. Uh, you just see them walking down the street and, um, Lee Priest, I just see those guys yeah. all the time. And yeah, then I decided, okay, well, and I, I was not willing. I had lots of guys saying, bro, if you just take a little bit of this and a little of that, and I'll help you. Um, right. Then you can be, and because you're, you're Asian, there would be no one like you. And I was about as tall as I remember I met Mike Christian and, and, you know, he was a, a, one of the taller bodybuilders and, when I met him in person, we were eye to eye. Wow. And, um, and I was like, Oh God, I, cause I thought he was like six foot six, the way he looked in the magazines. But, but for a bodybuilder at six foot one, and I was a little taller than I am now, you know, cause I guess aging and everything, but yeah, then not him, but there were a lot of guys that say, man, you just take a little bit of this, a little that, right. You'll, you'll be in the magazines, but I don't know. It just didn't, that just didn't appeal to me. Um, so, but I spent five years in, in uh, Santa Monica in the Santa Monica area. And I, I trained, I learned a lot um, as much as I could. Uh, but then eventually my wife decided we're getting kind of up in our, uh, it was approaching 30 and figured we got to get married and start a family. So we moved back to Honolulu when I was about 30. That was about, that was about 2000. Right. Right before nine 11. Yeah. And um I started working a 24 hour fitness in Waikiki and wow. uh, shortly thereafter, um, I got a really nice client base established and once uh, they eventually wanted me to start training them in their homes. So I eventually left 
24 hour, um, and then started just my own personal training business, uh, going to people's homes or meeting them in parks because I had no money and I had no place to actually, you know, rent for myself. And but I built the business up, and eventually I, I got my where I currently am in a place called Kapahulu, which is just right outside of Waikiki. So yeah, yeah. and I've been there. What's for, the name uh, of your business? Years, so. Fit Pro Hawaii. So yeah, Fit Pro Hawaii. Um, it was, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit generic sounding, but it was the only, the best back when I was trying to, it was, well, you know, here's the thing. I had other cooler names that I was trying to go, go for, but you know, when you're going on GoDaddy and even the most obscure name, you think like, no one's going to have this, but I wanted a dot com for some reason. I was just stuck <laughs> on having a, oh, yeah. I mean, that's okay. Right. So yeah, I didn't want dot net. I wanted dot com because back then, you know, dot com was more important than it is now so and when i when i got fitprohawaii.com it was available so um yeah just a funny fact i also purchased fitprousa.com and eventually uh, many many years later uh somebody some movie or some production company said hey we're starting a reality show and uh, we'd like to buy that from you so i actually sold it to them i never i guess cool. that show never made it yeah but yeah so, um, but yeah, so, um, so fit pro Hawaii, um, that's where I'm at and in, in Honolulu now. And, uh, yeah. What's your opinion of the fitness weightlifting space nowadays? Do you think it's, it's gotten better with people having more access to social media and YouTube like that? Or do you think there's just, it's, it's actually harder for people to get good information nowadays? You know, that's an interesting question. You know, okay. I, on no matter what the topic, there is so much information available. You would be natural to think that with the availability of information out there, that all of no matter what industry or, or discipline you're in, that it should come up. But at the same time, it's it's I guess it it's confusing and it dilutes a lot of what I feel. Um, I think in a way there people have moved away from that basic foundational lifting, like the yeah. stuff that Franco Columbu, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and guys that even came before like George Hackenschmidt and all those old, the guys that Arnold and, and Columbu modeled themselves after that, uh, that raw gist balls to the wall kind of there weren't a lot of lifts and I should talk because I'm throwing down every variation of the basic lifts and so but um I try to keep uh even though the stuff I do might look a little what's called unconventional um I really try to adhere to that basic especially with a single arm suitcase deadlifts or you know sure. that that the grip strength grip strength is is i don't think people even train that much for it anymore the way right um you know things like having strong feet and strong calves because people are truly puzzled as to why i train barefoot which when in the in hawaii especially everywhere you're either wearing what we call slippers or what on the mainland is referred to as flip-flops and and slippers back when i was growing up that's formal wear Oftentimes you'd see people in the mall just walking around barefoot and that's, I've always been barefoot. And so I think people 
have kind of, there's a lot of confusion. Um, I know CrossFit received a lot of criticism back when it was really just going off, but, um, and I'll be honest when CrossFit hit, I guess in 2010 ish, 2012, whatever it crushed my business a good amount. I lost a lot of clients to those CrossFit boxes, but I had been following CrossFit CrossFit years before it ever became a mainstream thing. And I thought the website was extremely helpful. The information they gave away for free and their adherence to just heavy, not, you know, and stacking those things. Um, maybe, you know, like maybe uh, Olympic snatches uh, done for time and then stacked with something else. Perhaps that might not have been the best thing for a lot of people, but the general the way CrossFit did things, I, I kind of missed that in a way. Um, if it, tempered with maybe spreading out that work volume and paying a little more attention to rest intervals. Um, but, you know, as crazy as, as, and as much criticism as it ended up getting, um, I think the current state of the industry is, uh, I'd say probably a little soft a little um and a little bit diluted um sure because i don't consider what i do like there's some guys i'm going to just shout them out there's a guy on instagram who goes by at um atlas power shrugged um uh, strange grayson um uh, guilty killer the, 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 if you go to their pages these guys make me and what i do I almost, after I watch their stuff, I almost don't want to post. They are strong. <laughs> they are strong beyond words. I mean, right. uh, another guy, uh, what is his wandering Girovic? Uh, he's a kettlebell guy. He like, I'm happy if I can do a side press with a 24 kilo bell. I mean, that's a big day for me. Oh yeah. He is side pressing 56 kilo. I mean, bells that I didn't even know they made. <laughs> and all of these guys, Strange Grayson, uh, side pressing 200 pound kettlebells or barb, just insane. Uh, Atlas Power Shrugged, single arm deadlifting, well over 500 pounds. Zercher. In uh, jeans, too, right? <laughs> in jeans, man. And these guys are, those are my heroes on social media. Okay, I tell, I have, I make no bones about it. What I'm doing, people say, whoa, you're a, you, wow, you're a savage, you're a beast. I'm like, the fat, and I'm very grateful and, 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 and very appreciative of those comments. But the fact that people think I'm a beast indicates to me that there's a slight disconnect or a misunderstanding between what true, raw, heavy training really is. Because I'm a 53 year old guy who I have a, a little bit of a metabolic, uh, I guess, limitation from being kind of older and I guess the chemotherapy that I'm going to blame for a lot of my shortcomings. <laughs> but um, yeah, those guys are the beasts. Um, Guilty Killer does stuff. He, that guy does heavy, heavy stuff in ranges of motion. Like he'll do a single leg overhead squat with a load of kettlebells that I couldn't do with two hands. And he's, here's what's cool about him. He is, if you look at his build, you would, he's thin. He appears lean, 
Um, he looks like just he looks like a killer, but he's not yoked and he's not big. Neither is um, Zach from uh, Wandering Gurevic. He's a tall guy. He's it's unusual. It's, I think he's six three or six yeah. four. But for a guy that tall with levers as long as he has, and he's not just busting with muscle. He's a well-built, solid guy. But it's insane that a guy that tall, and I and I don't think Atlas Power Shrugged, um, I don't think he's a short guy either, you know? Um, and Strange Grayson, or Grayson Strange, I believe is his first name. He, um, he's a very athletic looking guy you wouldn't but you would never guess that he can do what he yeah. they're all just amazing guys so you know i i, I want to give if, if people want to know what i aspire to and what inspires me um those four guys and there's others but i'm just you know those are the guys that just they define what training should be not not all the time um but that's that to me that is those are the beasts those are the goats. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, I'm just trying to just trying to they inspire me to just do kind of, if I can do a third to up to half of what they do, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. So anyway, we were talking about a uh, CrossFit earlier and, 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 um, that brought up some thoughts too about, you know, injury. And, and I knew a lot of friends who did do CrossFit classes and they would be pushing themselves to limits and, you know, they'd get, uh, you know, wrist injuries or knee injuries because, you know, mm -hmm. form maybe wasn't, they weren't able to pay attention to form. And, and, and you've been talking about some of the injuries you've had to handle. And then you also mentioned you were, you know, obviously you went through chemotherapy. Like, how are you handling those times in your life where you've got to actually look towards a different type of training and that that's, that's basically healing the body? You know, it's a good, uh, it's a, that's a good question. Um, from the time I was in my early 20s, um, well past my chemotherapy years, basically up to 2020, um, I had accepted that because of what I do, that lower back pain and sometimes uh, instability were just kind of uh, just part of the territory. It's just an occupational risk. Um, there were times, I don't know, have you ever like hurt your back in a way where you're walking around and it's like you're crooked, like your shoulders are kind of pushed over to one side and you're like kind of bent. Sure. Like a, oh yeah. Like, a, okay. And that, that I would have that every now and then that just became normal. And, and there were days where well, my clients are listening. Um, I would literally have to put on a Velcro weight belt underneath my shirt, super tight, just so I could show up at work and pick up plates and load them onto the bar without, you know, just dropping like I got hit with a taser. Um, my back was very unstable. So during the pandemic, I, um, in case people are wondering about what's all this one-sided asymmetrically loaded or kind of circumductive uh, oh, midsection work that I do, um, I did that a lot of times to work around my injuries because my mm. knees are also pretty trashed. My left wrist is kind of bone on bone. Um, yeah. And my low back was just hit and miss. Um, but during the pandemic, when I really, so, cause it's weird, you know, people oftentimes people would look at me picking up a 200 pound barbell. Even my dad, he would literally call me after he'd watch my, some of my videos and very concerning. He'd say, Bill, you know, you're, 
you you have a, a little bit more or a good amount of life left in you and that make sure you don't hurt yourself. And I told him, man, I am way more likely to, if I take a 200 pound barbell on one side of my body and I, and I suitcase deadlift, my risk of injury, at least for me, I feel is much lower than taking, say, a 300 pound barbell in front of me where I'm centered on that thing. It's symmetrically loaded and I'm trapped between that weight. And yeah, I can pull that thing, even if it's too heavy and lean back and something will snap. But if it's all on one side of my body, what my dad and maybe others should know is that that's your the opposite side of lateral compartment of your body as well as hip. It's either going to be able to, to carry that or not. If you can't handle it, you're not going to find out at the top or on your way down when something snaps. You just won't be able to move it. Right. And to, to me, there's a safety valve built into asymmetrical lifts that is not there. If you got a big, heavy, evenly loaded squat bar on your shoulders, you are literally trapped in that. And if you wiggle left, wiggle right, bam, that. So to me, the conventional lifts posed much more hazard and risk of injury than did the asymmetrical loads, despite what they look like. And here's another principle that if I can just let, if the, whatever listeners will take this to heart, I promise this will change their lives, not just their weightlifting and their athleticism, but their daily function. Um, I tell my clients to look at their midsections like a box and everybody's doing sit-ups, crunches, and leg raises for the abs and the six-pack. And everyone's doing glute hams and, and back extensions and RDLs for you know, the uh, erector or the, 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 the extensor compartments and muscles in the spine, but mm -hmm. it, it, and that's great. But a lot of those people were, are doing those um, to cure lower back issues or lower back pain. And that's prescribed in a lot of, you know, websites and PT environments. But if they start becoming, or if they, can take some of that energetic budget that they're putting into their six pack and their back extensors and start spending that on the obliques and the what's called the QLs and, and basically the lateral aspect of your core. Um, then you're going to have a box instead of having a box that has a strong front and a strong back, but wet cardboard on the side, you reinforce the lateral compartments mm. of your core. You, you start putting things on one side of your body that are trying to bend you to the side, and you're going to use the opposite lateral core to prevent yourself from being bent. Because oftentimes people try to train their obliques with movements, and I tend, I found I get much better results when I use my oblique and lateral core to prevent movement of the spine what they call anti-rotation or anti-lateral flexion. So, right. yeah, I mean, it, it might seem to make, because some people said, hey, you know, when you put a, can you put a barbell at your side, bend to the side and without using your legs, lift it off the ground? Um, I believe, no, I would not do that. That to me is a good way of perhaps hurting yourself. What I do is I'll squat down and as I lift, I'm focusing not on, I'm just focusing on not bending laterally. 
And so if people can really fixate, and I'll use the word obsess, over strengthening the lateral parts of their core, they will now have a box that has like four leather walls. And that has, I don't have back pain. I'm old as I'm ever going to be. And my back now, my low back under all circumstances, whether I sleep well, I go to a hotel bed that's sagging, doesn't matter. I'm bulletproof as I've ever been in my low back, much stronger than when I was in my 20s or 30s. And I believe uh, almost all of that is because I've, I'm now paying attention to building the lateral core. And I don't, I don't feel like there's enough awareness of the importance of building the lateral core. And I understand uh, the, some people that are aware of that, they're afraid of getting thick abs or getting a thick waist. And I understand like, okay, if aesthetics and looking sexy is your thing, then, I, then I'm not going to, yeah, then perhaps training your obliques and your lateral core, that will not be congruent with that goal. But I don't care about sexy midsection or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm married. I'm a dad. And I got kids. I'm done with that. So, the if, yeah, the thicker my midsection and just one guy said I I have the most ripped love handles he's ever seen, and I took that as a great compliment because when your obliques do grow, they actually extend beyond the the hip bones, and they do appear to be like love handles in certain angles. Um, but I took that as a high as high praise because before I used to have that little wasp waisty bodybuilder looking midsection because I wasn't training them, and okay, might have looked cool, but my that back that looked so sexy was also non functional and constantly giving out on me and and not serving me well. So um, I, I suggest to people that you know there's always that choice between aesthetics or functionality and. I've always been a fan of functionality. Yeah. On that note, you know, a lot of these exercises, I come into them through running. And so I was also wondering if you have any, if there's any exercises that you could recommend for, you know, this is a running podcast after all, but so yeah. is there anything you could recommend for an injury prevention for runners or, or something that could help uh, a guy like me get stronger for my longer yes. runs? Um, I, you know, as when, when I was younger and, um, my, my desire to be a special forces operator, um, that never really died. So, you know, after I got rejected by the military, I just became, I relegated myself to being a permanent wannabe guy. And so every now and then I'll take a 10 mile run up in the mountains here. It's called Tantlas. It's just right next to me here. Um, and I'm never going to be the fastest guy, you know, just based on how I'm built and whatever, whatever excuses I want to throw. But I, um, when the Vibram five, I was introduced to Vibram five finger shoes back in 2007. Mm -hmm. I think there was a book that came out called born to run. Oh yeah. Um, of course. Yeah. Okay. That. You guys remember that. <laughs> right. And, oh, I read that, but I don't read writing books and you know, I was always reading like, you know, weightlifting books and books on martial arts and jeet kune do and but born to run i think i read that oh how many times and there was all that um uh the raramari right and and um i remember and and back in hawaii back at that time vibrams were brand new they were extremely expensive especially to get them here um 
but I didn't care. I immediately bought the first model of that shoe that came out and it was ugly. They still are kind of goofy looking, but (laughs) (laughs) by this point now, once I got that first pair, I never went back. And that became my standard for, I, after all that stuff about how the, the, the built up, you know, fancy running shoes with a pump up soles and (laughs) gel and all that, um, completely made sense to me so then my standard to this day when i run i run in those vibram five fingers wow um and and um and it it's actually and people say well guys you're gonna hurt yourself man you can't run 10 miles up in the mountains with you know i'm i weigh about 200 pounds um and so i'm not a light runner um and it uh, my clients everyone says bro that's is that good for you and I'm not going to tell others what to do in that regard, but number those shoes are like a governor switch for me. Um, I cannot run. I cannot heel strike mm-hmm. in those shoes the way I can in proper or traditional running shoes. And that is what, that's why I can continue to run that distance. Um, and, and at my current age, um, like I said, a lot of people could fast walk, walk next to me as I'm doing my run. But um, it the connection I have to the floor. I am I use running, I use running, and I use jump rope to oh, yeah. strengthen the arches of my feet and to strengthen my calves. I don't care really how fast I run. I care how much I am using the muscles of my feet and my lower leg to spread the stress of my footfalls evenly into my upper body. I tell my clients, your, your feet and your calves are your first, are the first shock absorbers between the rest of your body and this earth. And because I, I make it, I make, I try to emphasize that because a lot of people don't really think of their feet and their calves in much regard. And uh, unless they, they, uh, the only regard they're given is like, I want to have those diamond looking calves that, you know, they, in terms of appearance, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to have good looking calves. Sure. I want strong, well, fun. I would rather have stronger feet and lower legs. I'd also rather have strong grip and forearms than strong biceps and triceps or hamstrings and quadriceps. Because right. the hands and the feet, those are the avenues by which gravity enters my body. Mm. So if those suck, then everything upstream of that is also going to suffer. So my things, I like guys that have big calves and they're kind of their upper legs are not that great. To me, that's a more formidable looking person. Like this guy, Guilty Killa on, on Instagram check out his calves he does not have big quads and but you look at his calves that guy's he's a weapon i mean he's got calves on him like insane and the stuff he can do he exhibits the 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 virtues of having that guy clearly emphasizes foot and calf strength so um yeah, so um, going back to your thing, the Vibram, the minimalist shoes. And I recently got into the Vivo Barefoot brand mm. because, mm-hmm. um, sorry, those are much nicer looking than the Vibrams. <laughs> I mean, they just, they're really, really nice looking shoes. 
and they are comfortable. So I wear those at work now. I used to wear the Vibrams, but I just kind of look like a, like a monkey wearing those. And and the yeah. Vibram Five Fingers are, I mean, the Vivo Barefoots are just cool looking, but they're very minimalist. They're super comfortable. So, and I, I've I've done a few stories on them recently, but I just want people to know I have no uh, sponsored or no affiliation with them. They're just good shoes. So, um, right. yeah, people should try them out. I also have no affiliation with a uh, Vibram five fingers either. I'm just, you know, but those have served. And I still on my run, I probably would still run in the Vibram five fingers right. because they've served. I've, 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 I've logged, um, at this a few hundred miles over the years in those shoes. And I've gone through dozens of pairs, but I, I feel like they've served me well in that I, I, you know, my, I'm, I'm really big on not injuring my Achilles tendons. Um, and I believe that my in, adherence to minimalist or barefoot training has really helped. Um, I also mentioned jumping rope. I use jumping. Oh, yeah. Jumping rope is something that I consider not a cardio activity. Um, I, I, that to me is a strength training activity for the calves. I believe Wandering Girovic recently did a post on also using the jump rope, not as a cardio thing, but to strengthen your feet and your calves. Mm. And um, uh, I found that if I can maintain five to 10 minutes on a half a pound to a one pound rope, then also my shock absorption, my ability to uh, attenuate shock on a run, especially when I'm on on a short sprint, I believe that that is very, uh, important and and it's pivotal in my ability to actually because you know at my age especially i don't sprint as much as i used to and you know the risk factors do go up as i try to accelerate um but the jump rope because it trains me to absorb shock quickly that's why i'm not i don't really do a lot of calf raises calf raises would appear to be a good thing but the speed, the velocity at which the force is entering the feet and the calves is completely, it doesn't simulate even closely the speed of just jogging, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, that you have to train that, not just the muscle, but the nervous system and the tendinous structures to be able to absorb and distribute shock quickly. And um, yeah, that's why I, the jump rope is, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily care about being really good at jump rope, but jump rope makes me a better runner. Uh, and, um, so in that, in those regards, yeah. Uh, so minimalist, uh, or footwear and jumping rope. Those are, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have better ideas than me, but coming from my world, that's what seems to keep me on the road. And, um, like I said, my knees are not as tolerant as they used to be. So it's even more important. And, I believe I'm running longer than I would have been if I'd been wearing shoes all this time. I don't, based on how my knees kind of feel right now, I probably would have stopped running a few years ago. So, yeah. Great advice. Yeah, that's super helpful. It, you know, a lot of runners kind of get made fun of or we poke fun at ourselves for just, I mean, I'm not one of those guys. I'm a big guy and, and I, I still like going running, but a lot of people are like kind of lanky and and can go for miles, but can't put muscle on or, or, or don't spend that time doing that. 
Um, uh, Chris and Mark, if, if if I can just add one more thing that kind of goes outside of muscle and gear, like shoes please. and calves. And this, I think, is probably the most important thing for I, it took me decades to grasp this properly. Um, you, I'm sure you've heard of a book called Chi Running. I haven't. No, no, no. OK, Uh that book after born to run, I read that several times. Um, that guy, I forget his name. He's a great, he's in San Francisco. If he's still there, but she running Danny dryer, that that's it. I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Danny, Danny, da- Danny dryer. Okay. Um, he is the first to present to me. I call it geisha running. Like, you know, like if you were wearing a kimono, the way sure. you would have to take these tiny little steps, but the way he described breathing. Um, here's how I don't injure myself on a 10 mile run. Cause people say, gosh, you know, you're kind of an older guy and you're kind of big to be running 10 miles up in the mountain with the, the monkey toe shoes on. How does, well, I will not run any faster than I can maintain only nose breathing. Ah, uh-huh. So if I'm huffing and puffing, if my mouth is opening, then I'm running too fast. Mm-hmm. So because another thing more important to me than being able to even run well, more important than even my calves and my forearms and my hands and my feet, my breathing muscles. Mm-hmm. So my trachea, my intercostals and my diaphragm. Yeah. Those are what I'm training on the run. Cause I'll never be a great runner. And I, I guess I should say, I, I don't care, but, um, I use running as a means to strengthen, you know, not just the mind and the spirit and reconnect with nature, but to, to really see if over the course of 10 miles, it takes me about three hours to run 10 miles up in that hill. Sure. Um, and I, and I don't mind, you know, I, I love it. It's just beautiful. It's this nature, but I will only breathe through my nose. Um, and so if I'm on a kind of an incline or there's a car, I got to get out of the way and I find myself huffing and puffing. Well, you know, another thing I like to do is jujitsu. And so I, there's times in jujitsu and when I'm rolling and getting just killed, my thing is, I don't care about winning. Almost every guy in the class can beat me. My thing is I got to breathe through my nose and stay as calm as possible until the inevitable comes. And what helps me when I, with that is when I'm running, if I regulate my speed and my movement to my ability to only breathe through my nose, rarely do I end up sore or, or with a swollen knee after the run. Um, and I also really believe it helps me to regulate waste products and, and, and lactic mm-hmm. acid and things. So, um, yeah, that's a big one for me is, is being able, is I don't, I don't have an objective that's related to running itself, distance or time. It's how well I breathe during that run, whether it's a short run or a long run. My breathing is my top priority on that run. So I love that. Just wanted to add that in. No, that that's great. You know, it and it makes so much sense. I think there's a running coach somewhere. Um, I, I forgetting who taught me this, but. They fill the runner's mouth up with water and have them run around the track, and there then they have to go. spit that. They have to spit the water back into the cup, and it has to be the basic same amount of water in, you know, match from really? the beginning, just to yeah, teach that's... you know nose breathing, which is something <laughs> I could be better at to say the least. 
Yeah. I also have a mouthpiece that I wear at night that actually seals my mouth off. Oh. <laughs> and it forces me to only, because I also have a little bit of apnea. Sure. Or according to my wife, a lot. And, um, and, um, Ask your wife yeah. that question. <laughs> yeah, you know, but this thing is called an orthomandibular repositioning device. This rolls right off the tongue. But um, what it does is there's a gasket that there's this bracket that kind of locks my teeth in a slight underbite. By the way, anyone that has apnea, they might want to look into this device. It is a life-changing, um, if especially if they don't like the CPAP. Um, this thing can just, oh, but even if I didn't have apnea, I would still want this device because it effectively encourages me or forces me to breathe through my nose while I'm sleeping. And I wake up so much more rested now. That's great. Not only is it, not only does my wife and my family wake up more rested, I wake up more rested. I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize how mouth breathing and whatever associated apnea I had, I had no idea how that was really just intruding into my quality sleep. So yeah, that, that the nose breathing is, is big, big, big. My buddy, um, Richard on eggs at exit comfort zone. He talks a lot about that. He's a, he's a ball, good looking bald dude. And he oftentimes will literally put duct tape over his mouth in a lot of his videos. So, um, yeah, he's, he's got it. Yeah, Richard at, at Exit Comfort Zone. He's a cool guy. Anyway. Yeah. Well, Bill, we want to thank you again so much for taking the time. It, this yeah. has been so informative for both of us. So we really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. To wrap things up, we always ask our guests, what is their idea of a runner's high? And so, you know, you mentioned you like to get out and do 10 miles, but and maybe it's not with running, but in and the other kind of exercises you do, uh, where would you say you reach that flow state? You know, there's one, no matter what I'm doing, every day is something different, but I always try, I'll, oftentimes I will select something according to what I am, I feel like I haven't done in a long time and where I feel deficient in. It, you seem to think that, I'm going to choose what I'm in the mood for. Like the other day I did uh, some pull-ups. I was talking about doing some pull-ups with some kettlebells hanging in my feet. I hadn't done pull-ups. I, I looked on my, my grid on, on Instagram. There were no pull-up videos for weeks. And I'm like, wow. And I realized I hadn't done pull-ups. And for me, I don't know about others, but if I don't do pull-ups on a somewhat regular basis, it, it I just lose it. Uh, yeah. All the training I put into it, it goes away. So regardless, I will always choose something that I kind of don't want to do and i will my workout and the high i get will be how i guess how i can get to the highest level of that activity in the time that i have with the least emotional and physical resistance so you know 20 minutes is not there's times where like when I'll, I'm when I'm bringing out my barbell to do a single arm suitcase deadlift we're just kind of putting the plates down my back goes you know I'm just putting the plates on the lawn so I can get them on the bar I'm thinking and you want to try and pull 220 in one hand today good luck and you know the sun is going down if, if people want to like wow that's a nice looking background well, I choose that time of day. I select that time. It's seasonal 
so I can get that nice pink sunset. That's so I'm on a time crunch because I only have a few minutes of that light. So um, I guess it's not how much, how hard. It's no longer about like how much pain I can take. It's how how well I can construct going from just coming out of traffic, coming in, having some kind of a little shake or a cup of coffee or whatever, and then going from zero to, we'll call it 60, with the least amount of grading on my gears. And um, the same with the run. I, I, I'm sure a 10-mile run in three hours, people are saying, I can walk on my hands faster than that. And, but my thing is, um, if I can pr- finish that, in my minimalist shoes, um, breathing only through my nose and one small bottle of water. And I don't recommend this, but sometimes I'll try to see if I can go the entire 10 miles without drinking that bottle of water. I do that because in an emergency situation, it's unlikely I'll have any water. And I need to know that I can go a distance that is considered quite long and not mentally need that that hydration. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend that, by the way, but um, I will always build in some kind of a challenge um, to myself. The other day, I was doing an orbit lunge with a 45-pound weight plate, right. and that was a very difficult version of that exercise for me. I tore the skin on, you know, you know where your big toe attaches to your foot? If you extend your big toe too fast and too hard, you can actually split that. I don't know if you've ever done that, but because the skin on my feet is kind of brittle because of the nerve damage, um, I actually did that. That sounds kind of gross, but it's sort of like getting paper cut right oh, at the no. base of your Jeez. toe. It's it's a sharp, just uh, and but I was determined to get that, and it kept knocking me out of my groove. I'd drop the plate to the side, and I'd literally just get thrown off to the side. Um, but my thing is, okay, dude, you have to just calm down. <laughs> Center yourself, distribute your weight properly, focus on the other leg taking that stress. And eventually I was able to get two reps, one on each side that I was able to post. So I guess it's just overcoming my own resistance or whatever. Because, you know, it might appear like an exercise is, is giving me a hard time, but I'm, I, I've learned that, no, it's how I'm applying myself to that exercise. That's what's giving me the hard time. And if I start losing my shit and getting pissed off at the weather or the sweat on my hands or my foot split and my toes coming off, then um, I lose. And so for me, my high that I got on that one was just being able to get one rep on, the, on each side after numerous failed attempts and just staying calm when it doesn't go my way. Because I, I, you know, I, I found as I get older, more and more things tend not to go my way. I'm sure others can attest to the same. But um, hopefully, as we get older, we temper that with a little more self awareness and a kind of inner calm. That so, I guess that's the high I get is how well I deal with the adversity of what I'm dealing with, rather than just kicking ass or or dominating a workout by doing. Thing, like repping till I can't walk anymore and that kind of stuff. That's great when you're younger and go for it. But um, yeah, I guess it's overcoming myself properly. Well, Bill, thank you so much for that. That that makes so much sense. And we really appreciate you taking the time for being on, on the show today because uh, it was really, really informative. And 
you continue to inspire a lot of people, but it's it's incredibly creative and and uh, intellectual and impressive work you're doing out there in Hawaii. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that, and thank you, Mark. I yeah, no, I I, I don't even know how long we've been doing this. It's been a lot of fun for me. I've I really enjoyed uh, speaking with both of you, and thank you for the opportunity. You're a humble guy, but you're the real deal. So, oh, just uh, <laughs> just doing my best, you know. But uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. All right, Bill. Thank you so much. Take care, Bill. You guys take care. Much aloha. Bye bye.